I'm Cassie Ringsdorf, and this is the FEMA Podcast. When national and local news cover a disaster somewhere in the U.S., you may, like me, obsessively follow the coverage, trying to better understand what happened and how extensive the damage was. As the days pass, news coverage wanes, and our lives go on. We slowly forget to check in on the progress, but assume things are on their way back to normal for the areas impacted. And they probably are, but what you probably don't see is that the road back is often difficult and can take years to come to what is referred to as a new normal. That road typically involves an entire community of support and resources, far beyond what FEMA may provide. Voluntary agencies are typically some of the first organizations to respond and are often the last to leave a community, sometimes years after a disaster. Nearly 50 years ago, to coordinate the efforts of these agencies, the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, or National VOAD, was established as a forum to share information and coordinate resources before, during, and after disasters. Today, they represent hundreds of national faith-based, community-based, and nonprofit organizations, as well as state and local groups who support communities in their greatest time of need. On today's episode of the FEMA podcast, we'll talk to Greg Forrester, President and CEO of the National VOAD, and Liz Gibson, FEMA's Voluntary Agency Coordination Branch Chief, to learn what the National VOAD does, how they do it, and why their partnership with FEMA is so important to what we do. Greg, Liz, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Greg, I want to start with you. Uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disasters, could you give me a brief overview of, of what you guys are and what you do and kind of the role of your organization uh, after a disaster? Sure. So uh, we started back way back in 1970. Uh, we'll be a 50-year-old organization here coming in this next year. Um, and so it was really about how do we provide services post, pre- and post-disaster uh, for survivors without tripping over each other. Uh, it was a matter of having, at that point in time, it was seven national member organizations. Uh, they had been responding to Hurricane Camille, and they found that they were duplicating some of the services within the disaster arena and so in the disaster area. So what they decided was, let's make sure we're having conversations in advance uh, so that we're not doing this again. And so over the last uh, couple decades, uh, they progressed to the point now where we have 72 national member organizations, and then we have an organization in every state and territory. And so really driving down to where the community that's affected by the disaster owns the disaster. And so then how do we work with the nonprofits that are in the affected area? How do they then relate to the state organizations that can bring them some resources? And then how do they connect then up to a national organizations that can bring in additional resources when necessary? And then the overlap also became of how do we then integrate with governmental services, whether it's the local county emergency manager, the state emergency manager, and then with FEMA on a national level. And so we have that integration point within our organizations. And then the third piece is uh, private sector. We know that we need funding for this. We know businesses are affected by disasters just like individuals are. So then how do we work with foundations and private sector to make sure that the resources that they're providing work in an effective manner within the area? Um, as a piece of that, we develop what's called the four C's, and the four C's stand for cooperation, communication, coordination, and collaboration. Uh, Liz, you're with FEMA. Uh, how does the National Voluntary Organizations Act in, Active in Disaster engage with FEMA? Um, how would you describe that engagement? Um, I would say that we're partners. We work very closely with them in a preparedness way. Uh, we have what we call FEMA Voluntary Agency Liaisons in each of our regional offices who work on preparedness things with voluntary sector, the groups that 
Greg was mentioning that our state and locally um, affiliated, our regional vows work with them in doing, again, preparedness kinds of things, um, and then post-disaster, um, helping them be organized, helping them develop long-term recovery groups. Um, the concept being that we gather resources that will be made available to survivors after all the federal assistance that a survivor gets um, has been maxed out when they're when they reach a level when they're no longer eligible for additional, but still have unmet needs. Um, then we work even more closely with the voluntary sector through those committees and groups to um, help affect additional recovery. We've been working together with them for not the full 50 years for sure, but probably 40 of the 50. Um, FEMA was implemented in 1979, so this is our 40th year um, as, an, as an agency of the federal government. Um, and there have been vows in existence for uh, probably 38 of those 40 years. So um, we've, uh, we've have a long, long history and relationship um, that goes way back. And it's, it's developed as National VOAD has grown, so have the VAL positions within the regional offices grown too. There are more reservists, there are more um, core employees, um, more permanent full-time employees um, that all have a VAL title and, and work in that arena. So maybe what we want to do now is help people understand what this looks like in a real-world scenario. And I, I think probably the best example of that might be the 2017 disaster season where it's probably all hands on deck for both of you. Sure. Could you describe what it looked like from your perspective as well as yours uh, when you know we saw Hurricane Harvey coming in to Texas? We knew it was going to be bad, and then it just kind of kept getting bad. How would you describe the experience for you all? Yeah, so very similar to with, with what happens with FEMA, where you can now pre-stage material supplies and resources and, and such. We do the same. So we're watching the weather reports, and we're talking to our member agencies that are in what's going to be the affected area, but also the contiguous areas, because we want to be able to stage resources, both personnel, but also any of the relief goods and supplies that we're going to need. So we started with that process, and uh getting updates every day. We were on the phone with each other until there was uh, landfall was anticipated. And when the NRCC was activated uh, in Washington, D.C., we have a seat in there. Um, and so we responded uh, alongside of the FEMA personnel doing, you know, bringing the resources to the table that we have available. In the same fashion, in the state level, so if we were talking Harvey, uh, in the State Emergency Operations Center, we also had somebody from one of our state VOADs in the State Emergency Operations Center. So again, so that we can go ahead and filter information, provide resources as necessary and requested, or just say we don't have that capacity, because uh, sometimes it goes both ways for that. Uh, the other interesting part, I think, that I want to mention is, is we also respond not just in declared disasters. So we're staging this all the time for non-declared, just small uh, disasters that may occur within a state that's not going to reach that federal level. But 2017 and 2018 uh, really stretched capacity, I think, for all of our agencies, whether it's governmental or voluntary, uh, to the point where we, we saw where the breaking points were. <laughs> and realizing that we need additional resources and additional members in order to go ahead and further the expanse of what we're able to deliver. So at this point, are you guys looking to expand your membership? Is that kind of a focus area that you've learned since the 17 and 18 seasons? It had always been a piece of who we are. We we're always looking to grow because more and more agencies come on board. Um, our history has been about 75% of our membership is faith-based. 
Um, and what we're finding now is there's more secular organizations that are, have a stronger footprint on a national arena for response. And so we wanted to make sure that we could go ahead and, and fit them in uh, to what it is that we're doing with our existing organizations. So we've grown on the, we have a couple categories, but uh, we've in the past year, we've grown by an additional 10%. Uh, a year ago, we grew by 20%. So we're continuing to evaluate and vet all of the organizations. We just, we just don't let anybody join. They have to have actually certain capacity and capability issues. They also have to agree to behave pr- appropriately in a disaster. And so we have something called points of consensus. Uh, and those points of consensus talk about how we work with survivors in emotional spiritual care, how we do, do donations in a responsible manner. And so whenever we're bringing on a new organization, they have to agree to those. Now, Liz, what, what, was your, what is your answer to that uh, kind of experience from the 17 and 18 disaster seasons from a FEMA perspective working with the National VOAD? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, um, it was indeed all hands on deck. Um, we were stretched to our capacity. Um, Harvey was just the beginning of, uh, of basically a shortage of voluntary agency liaisons. Um, we ended up in a situation where we did a lot of local hiring. We didn't have enough training or time to train, so we, we were really scrambling. Um, it, but we managed to make it happen. We worked very closely, again, depending on our voluntary agency partners uh, to help us, um, sometimes through manning a warehouse um, where donations were coming in, um, or sometimes uh, helping us through assessment um, information and and feeding it back to us in places where we weren't able to physically be able to be there. Um, So... It was, it was, it's really great to have that partnership because we just couldn't do it all. Um, so we're a little better prepared now, I think, as we've hired a lot of folks uh, because of the 17 and 18 hurricane. We had a lot of local hires. We're putting them through some training. We'll have a big training in August where we're putting about 50 folks, our new folks, through um, some intensive surge training. And uh, so we'll be better prepared for this year's onslaught if it comes. Um, but we have to train our folks to work with the voluntary sector, too. It's not just a given. There are relationships to be built here, and um, we need to keep working on that. Yeah, and then one other point, too, uh, that Harvey created. Uh, so the, when the joint field office got set up by FEMA, it's the first time that I can recall in, in our uh, VOAD history that we actually had additional people from national VOAD organizations deployed into the JFO. Um, and so we worked alongside of the, the VAL team that was there as they brought in a cadre to meet the needs for the different uh, categories. We did the same with our voluntary sector with people with subject matter expertise in those areas. And so it was really a team approach, a real true partnership as we were moving that forward. So it sounds like there have been some best practices that have come out of the 17 and 18 seasons, increasing membership, staffing, Um, maybe kind of rethinking where your staff is situated in certain disasters. Is there any other successes you'd like to point out, kind of best practices that you see kind of carrying you through future disaster seasons? For for us, it became a matter of making sure that the conversation continues. So it's um, best practice for us was it's great to have FEMA, their guiding process with the state. But if we don't have also a direct relationship with the state emergency management, there's a gap that happens in that dialogue because the state's looking for certain things. We're looking for certain things as nonprofits. And FEMA's taking the larger picture and the umbrella. And that's great, but we need to make sure that the nonprofits, the VOADs, are engaged with the state-level emergency management as well. 
um, because then it affects the rollout of long-term recovery organizations and some other things that come in that recovery uh, format and timeline. And so we look at, uh, and now even as uh, FEMA's re-looking at uh, response uh, timelines, we're now on the same page of saying recovery happens at the time of response. And if you're not planning those two things simultaneously, you're going to end up with a gap. Um, and so we're, we're getting, that's a best practice I think we've learned, and it got reiterated in 2017 as well as 2018 when it came to, uh, to processes. The other thing that uh, we learned is islands are different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Territories are different. Um, and so to also like with U.S. Virgin Island to presume that each of the three islands have a similar culture and response and structures is a wrong idea, even though it says it's U.S. Virgin Islands. And then with Puerto Rico, the, the difficulty is, is when all infrastructure uh, is devastated, then which ones do you put in place first? Um, and so we're learning from that from a voluntary side, from a community-based approach outward, just like FEMA is learning it from how do you do it from a, a really providing the, the electric and the transportation, et cetera. But how do we, again, coordinate that in a better fashion so it meets community needs as well as the long-term recovery need? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, I'd like to shift a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot about response and recovery, which is a really key piece of what you guys do. Um, but I'm interested, I know a focus of yours, your organization, is disaster preparedness. How does that fit into your overall mission and what you guys do day to day? So it goes back a lot to our faith-based. And so our faith-based network is all the major denominations, whether whatever flavor is on the building, so to speak. So we represent, we have Jewish groups, we have Islamic groups, we have Sikh groups, we have uh, Buddhist groups, we have the Protestants and the Catholics. And what you'll find is, is most of the faith groups have developed a preparedness uh, training that they have within their congregations, just as a standpoint of, let's make sure that our congregations are prepared to react with it for themselves, but also then within their community where they reside. So we're, we do a lot of work with that. And so we use pre-existing materials. Uh, Red Cross is fantastic. They're a member organization of ours. They produce some excellent uh, materials. Save the Children has excellent materials. And then FEMA itself. Uh, we utilize the materials that are produced there. Uh, what we're finding is, is the <laughs> when I speak to groups of disaster professionals who do this as a career, and I ask the question, how many of you have a disaster response plan for you and your family that you've looked at within the si in the last six months? I get the same response rate from disaster professionals as I get from the general public. So it's about 15 to 20%, which means that even how we're doing it right now doesn't work. So how do we get better at that? Um, and so we all know that uh, with people with a plan, we'll survive better. Um, and so we, we've got to invest some more time and thought process about how we do that. From the FEMA perspective, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, and one of the things that is proven over and over and over is people think more about preparedness post-disaster than they do pre-disaster. Um, so I, I think our circle of response is a little bit backwards. Um, we put preparedness up at the top when it should be sort of around the other side um, because that's when re people really are open to the message and open to the idea. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality of the world is that nobody wants to talk about, it's not a sexy topic, um, to talk about you know, having gallons of water set aside and having food prepared and having a plan for who calls who and what's your meeting point and all of those things that you do in preparedness just on an individual level, um, let alone prepare for your community, your state, your and, and federally. So um, it's I, I think we have to refocus in a different way. 
it's certainly a challenge, I know. It is. One of the things we did learn as we did an analysis of, of who was, what segment of the population is the best prepared, and it's families with children that are in elementary school. And it was because the fire department and the police department send somebody to the school every year. They hand out a piece of paper, work with the children in the school as to how they're going to respond to a fire in the school. But also then they take a paper home and say, Mom, Dad, you got to fill this out. And so what we find is as soon as families don't have children in elementary school, they fall on the unpreparedness scale. Uh, we're wrapping this up. So let me ask you guys both a final question. Uh, FEMA just celebrated its 40th anniversary. Um, how do you view the evolution of the National VOAD and FEMA's engagement over the next 40 years? What do you envision? What do you hope? How do you think it will evolve? Um, I, I think it will continue to evolve as National VOAD evolves. Um, there's a fine balance um, that voluntary agency liaisons, uh, especially at the headquarters level, strive to, to to keep the balance at all times. Um, there is a tendency in government to want to, um, what's your favorite saying, Greg? Ask, ask not task. task. <laughs> um, but that we tend to task, not ask. Um, so for us, it's it's defending and, and being an advocate for our voluntary sector to say, you know, they are independent. They, we, we don't, they don't work for us. Um, they're our partners, not our employees. And so um, I think it's continuing that message and making it stronger um, to continue to be partners and to continue to build that, that awareness of partnership um, as, as they continue to build um, the, the response and recovery elements that they have through the various agencies and through additional agencies. So um, for me, that's a primary focus is, is protecting them, if you will, from being over tasked or over or, or task at all and, and making an assumption that voluntary agencies are just going to, oh, they're just going to come in and take care of this. So no, not the way it works. Yeah, and, and so for us as we move forward, I think that that's been the dialogue. And as long as we can keep as well, the, one of the big challenges we face in a relationship with FEMA is the changing of staff all the time. And so what we do is all about relationship. Everything that we do in disaster is about relationship. And this conference that we're at today is all about let's get to know each other before something happens so that when we pick up the phone, we know how you're going to deal with it. We know your expertise. We, we already know each other. Um, and so as long as we continue to do that uh, with between FEMA and National VOAD, we now have uh, uh, the director of IA, and I'll get the title wrong, sits on our board of directors. So the, the head of that, that unit sits there as a piece of reminding us that we do have a connective point and we want to make sure that, that we're listening. But we also want to know that our government is listening and saying, ask, don't task. No, you don't deploy us. We show up because we want to. <laughs> and, uh, and keeping that, that boundary, but also realizing that you have the, the government has resources that we don't have. We have resources that are deployable that the government can't have. And we can do things sometimes a lot faster. And sometimes we do it wrong when we do it faster. And I say wrong in terms of our timeline is different than government timelines. Um, and so uh, our reaction uh, rate is there. So as long as we're educating each other and we're consistently in dialogue, uh, I see the future as being fantastic as long as we don't forget who we are, both government and nonprofit, and we, res we respect uh, the boundaries that are there in those two. Well, it certainly takes the whole community. Uh, thank you both so much, Greg and Liz. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. 
If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcast. Thank you.